Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Which is, of course, Khmer for Achtung Achtung. Of course it is. Everyone knows that. Yeah, as you know, Khmer is the official language of Cambodia, which suffered a strange war ruled by Vichy France, but occupied by Japan. More of that another time. But it's one of those sort of post-colonial scrambled egg moments. Yes. uh, uh, In the Far East. Anyway, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Um, with me, Al Murray, and James Holland, who is in... Your, where are you, James? I am on St Anthony's Head, which is in South Cornwall, near Falmouth. And you're, you're, you're on a writer's retreat, aren't you? I can, <laughs> yeah. can <I> call it that? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Sort of. Uh, yeah, I just really... I'm, I'm just sort of slightly running out of time for my Sicily book, because the deadline is Easter. Right. Um, and I thought, well, OK, I'll, I'll, the only way to do this is just to have pure selfish time concentrated all day, get up at 6, desk by 6.30, don't don't stop working till 10 with the odd break, just pound it. And do you know what? It's really working. It's great. I'm going to try and persuade Rachel to let me do this every single time I start a book, to be honest. It's oh. so a way oh, forward. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Superb. And she's probably having a wonderful time with you out of the house. <laughs> yeah, as well. Right, well. is, <laughs> Right, well, recent episodes have found James and I bunkered down on either side of the Thames, first at the Imperial War Museum and then the National Army Museum, and a huge thank you to both splendid institutions for their hospitality. Yeah, it was fun, wasn't it? I loved the archive at the National Army Army Museum, that was great. Peter was terrific. Yeah, those maps were something else, weren't they? Those maps and those photo albums and stuff, really, really good. yeah. Yeah. Really fascinating. Well, so, but today we're back at business as usual, um, and our uh, so, well, James is at his TAC HQ in uh, Cornwall, <laughs> and I'm in my I am kitchen. actually very close. We have... I am very close to a um, Second World War gun battery. So, you know... And of course so, you are. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not completely bereft of World War II ephemera. <laughs> Excuse me. And, we have and actually, actually, I must also say, I must also say about the battery, it's quite interesting, because um, uh, last year I was in Singapore, and I was filming at a battery uh, an old british battery and there sort of went up this kind of sort of jungly track and sort of trees everywhere and you know it's proper thick jungle and there was this remains of this battery and i thought god i've seen that before and i suddenly realized it was the gun battery at st anthony's head and of course they're all built around the same time end of the 19th century and of course exactly so they look on put num put put a number four here you know at the catalog exactly Exactly. Here's the builder's manual. Off you go. They all look exactly the same. They're all standardised. It's just like, you know, when you see all these sort of colonial barracks and stuff, you can just tell a British one just immediately because they're all exactly yeah. the same. It's just interesting. Yeah, 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 anyway. yeah. Yeah. Well, James and I, of course, were joined by Gary Lineker on the pod last week, and this prompted a fascinating missive from J.J. Cooper, who is executive editor of Baseball America and a regular listener to We Have Ways. Excellent. How's that happened? Well, that that's brilliant, be- though. Was that because he knows you like cricket and cricket is like the superior version of baseball? Mm, steady on, steady on, steady on. <laughs> anyway, JJ says, 
Enjoyed the podcast this week, as I always do. Please keep up the great work. I wanted to add an addendum to your piece about English footballers in World War II. One of the most shocking items I've come across in my reading is that German soccer continued not only through the first years of the war, but almost way until the end. They think it's all over. Um, it isn't now. Champ- <laughs> it isn't now. Championships. I didn't. I mean, I did. I did not know this. That that that, that they played through 1944, and the 1945 season started. Uh, even though, you know, I mean, 1945. Germany is is on the really shitty end of the Allied stick at that point, isn't it? I mean, this yep. is when the Reichsbahn's been destroyed, industry's tipped into complete chaos. Yep. Uh, you know, there's there's displaced persons all over the place, the Wehrmacht's falling apart, the Volksturms. I mean, but they're still, I don't know, we've still got to play, we must play our football. Our yeah, football? I mean, F- FC, our football. <laughs> FC Bayern played its final game on April the 23rd, 1945. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I mean, I know you Germans ever wonder, like football, but... You ever wonder why the Third Reich failed? It's because they're so mad. I mean, that's just ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> but actually, yeah. but there was, yeah. I mean, there was there was a lot of sport going on in the war. I mean, there were lots and lots of exhibition matches. Um, I mean, there were lots of cricket matches, lots of football matches. You know, the troops were playing. You know, we were talking about Tom Finney, weren't we? And, and the fact that he'd, he'd yeah, played yeah. all these matches in North Africa and stuff. And there was this incredibly famous... Um, match in the Soviet Union um, against a, yeah. a against a German side against um, a Kiev side, which is sort of made up of of um, ex uh, Soviet footballers from Dynamo Kiev and also Lokomotiv Kiev, and they played yeah. in this match. And after the war, uh, not all the players survived inevitably um, the war, but huge um, propaganda was made by uh, by the Soviet Union of, of this match that took place in, um, I think it was around August 1942. And um, I think this is where the Sylvester Stallone movie Escape to Victory came from, because the, the rumour was that um, the SS had kind of, you know, put in one of their own as the referee and and cheated. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, the guys, who, the, the Kiev players were warned beforehand that they had to kind of throw the match and all this kind of stuff. Um, and the Russians then made a film about it after the war, which was incredibly popular and everyone loved and all the rest of it. And apparently later on, yeah. some of the players who survived said, um, no, that actually that wasn't true. The, the referee was completely neutral um, as far as he could be, was completely fair. And no SS guys told them that they had to lose the match. They just lost it. So it kind of... <laughs> Well, but, yeah, but you might. Yeah, but you might. You might lose that match. You, you might. might you might lose really, that match. You might lose that match on a number told of. Two. Yeah. yeah. A, a which uh, because you know which side your bread is buttered. Um, B because you haven't got any bread and you certainly haven't got any butter, so you're not in the best physical yeah, health well, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> There's a whole load of factors that might um, emphasise why. Um, that mixture of Dynamo and Locomotive Kiev actually lost that match, but but it was known as the death match because people were supposedly in mythology in Soviet great patriotic war mythology were murdered by the um, SS afterwards, even though they weren't. But they sort of weren't because I, they were. They were I, sort of... I think we've done quite well. We we've nearly been doing this for a year, and that's the first mention of Escape to Victory, which is my least probably my least favourite film of all time. I find it an, an, an unwatchable toss. And uh, if that fills our mailbag up, I don't care. It's a diabolical film. I first saw that Absolutely. in my school gymnasium on a screen that was put down from the stage and we all watched it. And And I remember thinking at the time when I was nine, 
it was quite good. But then in my 20s, I watched it again. And you're right. It's absolutely... It's pony. It's awful. It's, pony. it's It's so bad. It's just... Uh, let's move on. I just can't... It's just terrible. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone as a goalkeeper yeah, as well. We're not... Um, yeah, it's just... Well, and... He's offered the chance to escape, and he goes, no, i got to play the football match. And he, no, you escape, you twat. <laughs> anyway, so we, um, what we thought we'd do is work. We've had loads of questions um, from, from our, our wonderful listeners, uh, and we just want to go through a few, few of these. We're, we're trying to do these quite quickly, yeah? So Nick Hill writes, is it true that the expression the whole nine yards comes from the ammunition belts American fighter aircraft were equipped with during World War II? Well... Supposedly, well, supposedly, yeah, um, and and that the is presumably that is, is gone. Which planes? Well, you know, are we talking a Thunderbolt, or are we talking a Lightning, or are we talking a Mustang, or a Tomahawk? What? Which plane? But they did all use fifty caliber. Because they can't all have. They did all they use. They can't all have nine yards. They didn't have all. Kind of all had the same capacity in their wings. You know. No, that's true. But but they must have all had. Well, I don't know because because yeah maybe. I mean, I mean, they're, I they're like all fifty it. caliber, aren't they? They're all fifty caliber. Yeah, yeah, they're all fifty cal. Yeah, I mean, I like it. It's a not. I like it. I've not <laughs> got a problem with it as a. I like the idea, but I don't know if it's true or not. So, um, if anyone does know definitively, because because it, it, I think this is kind of one of those. If you go if you go online, it says yeah, that's right, but it's never. There's never anything on Wikipedia. That up. Well, there's never any citation. Citation needed, Nick Hill. Citation needed. Okay. Mike P says, didn't Tatra cars kill more German generals in World War II than the Allies? <laughs> I don't think it was just poor well, old Tatra. I think it was just general vehicles generally. I mean, have you ever driven around around a Jeep? I mean, I, I tell you, we, I had a Jeep yeah. for a few years. And I, well, you, you took one to Berlin, didn't you? I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, they wobble around They're all over the place. You've got no safety belt. Yeah. There's no airbags, inevitably. Um, yeah. If yeah. if you crash it, even just remotely crash it, you're going to hurtle out of the out out of the seat. Um, at the very best case scenario is you smash your head against the windscreen, uh, and that's that sort of thing. A bit kind of. I yeah. mean, the number of well, accidents gut, in the Second gut, World gut War. Yourself on the steering wheel. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, they just weren't yeah. built around safety. Then I mean, you know, what's a safety belt? Um, uh, it's just they just don't have them. And and so inevitably, and particularly when you're driving around at night with no lights or very very only slit headlights um, and all the rest of it, you're going to have lots of accidents. And it's just amazing. All you know, all the way through the war, whatever your whatever um, uh, kind of one of the armed services you're involved in, accidents are just legion. I mean, it was reckoned that thirty percent of the RAF's casualties in the Battle of Britain were down to accidents. Thirty percent. Really? Yeah, but 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 road ac- road accidents in particular. I mean, uh, the very very high amount of soldiers, you know, run over, fall off lorry, um, yeah, behind it in convoy runs him over. Nothing yep. you do about that, and that and, and that's all. Uh, and obviously, people getting drunk as well. But 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 you know, you you factor in that bored bored and drunk people in unsafe vehicles. Yeah, you're looking at you're looking at all sorts of. I mean, it's a it, you know Patton after all was was basically killed in a road accident. Yeah, he was. It's not just German generals, you know. I remember talking uh, to this amazing uh, guy, this American American soldier who was in the first um, armored division, uh, was in half track um, in North Africa in Tunisia, and he was. Um, it was the time of the Kasserine, and they were suddenly hurried hurried forward to um, uh, get to a place called Tebessa, I think it was. Uh, yeah. And and they had to travel through the night, and on the way through, he ran over about six Arabs. 
just knocked him over. Said, you know. Yeah. I said, God, didn't you feel a bit bad about that? He said, I felt absolutely dreadful about it, but what can I do? I'm in a column, it's night, can't see anything. There's a war on. War on. <laughs> Jesus. God. I know. It's a shocker. Right. <laughs> Isn't it? Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown says, love the podcast. Well, thank you, Mr. Brown. My granddad was on Royal Navy minesweepers after World War II from 1945 in the North Sea and North Atlantic. He said he sometimes had to stand on the prow of the ship with a rifle and shoot mines in the water. Was this common? Uh, actually, I think that was quite common. I really? Mean, they, they, yeah, they did. They shot. I mean, you, that you, you certainly like a first, because because a lot of mines are under break. under the a lot of mines are under the surface. You know, they're on these these wires. So what you do, how you how you clear mines is is you sweep for them and you have these cutters. So you have the, the mm. you, you you catch the wires and, and the wires are, the they get cut and they come to the surface and then you then you shoot them and you blow them up. Mm. Yeah, I don't but, know with a rifle, but, sound- but it's only with a cannon you would. Yeah, exactly with a cannon. Yeah, but with a rifle it does sound a bit like you know your first day at work and they send you to get a long wait from the stores or. Well, I suppose the big problem, the big thing is, is you know they're, they're quite big old bits of metal. I'm not sure that a, a rifle would penetrate them, would it? Would would do the trick, yeah, yeah. yeah. <coughs> okay, but they did shoot love up the mine, podcast. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love, Simon podcast says love the Simon I'll start Simon again. podcast Simon Covert. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Simon, it's been a long week, James. I know. <laughs> Simon Kovac says love the podcast. Obligatory brown nose out the way. What was the most daring glider-borne commando raid? Eben Mal, the Mussolini rescue, or Pegasus Bridge? Well. I think for my money, it's got to be a bit of mail, just because yeah. it's 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 the first, isn't it? And it's you know that's that's completely unknown. No one knows whether that's. I mean, I know you've, obviously you've trained and stuff, but that's the first time, isn't it? That's a, that's that's pretty outrageous. Well, it's the thing that everyone goes, oh yeah, we could do that. Yeah. As well, it's the it's the it's the the the, the thing that sets the mould. Yeah. Although. Interestingly, the British can't make their minds up, even two or three years later, whether gliders were used at Ebon ML. They, 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 they don't know if they believe the news reports. Mm. Um, internally, in British Air Forces, there's right. a whole doctrinal argument. Did it even happen? And have they built this glider force off the back of a thing that's propaganda? Because mm. after all, as you well, as you, you well know, Blitzkrieg... Blitzkrieg is a... It's full of myth. You know, yeah, but no one, no is, one is after, disputing after that. After the though, event, right? propaganda invention. Well, no, 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 no. But the, but there is this, there is an interesting right. kind of wobble right, uh, right, right. 42, 43 in air, British Airborne Doctrine where they're going, did that even happen? We don't yeah. know. How can we be sure? Because, you know, yeah. how could they be sure? Uh, and I, I reckon you'd have to be pretty daring to be on the first British glider one. I mean, you know, landing in snow on a mountain in Norway. I mean, that that's got to take nuts of steel, doesn't it? And they all go horribly wrong. They all get captured. Yeah, those are awful. Those uh, that, that 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 raid to destroy the heavy water plant is it Colossus? Operation? Yes, the first Colossus one. It's the first one. It's yeah, it's it's, it's sort of like October, dark. isn't it? October forty. Yeah, is it forty forty one? Forty two. Forty two. One of the one of the tugs. One of the I think one of the tugs goes into the mount into a mountain with the glider. Oh, they're God, all it's horrendous. Yeah, and then and they're then, all and, killed. And then another one. They're right, all killed because one, they're, they're captured. captured and they're murdered. Yeah, yeah. They're murdered. And I've been to I've been to a spot where they murdered them. Yeah, 
It's just behind. Yeah. So it's really close to um, Oslo International Airport, what is now Oslo International Airport. And there's all these woods and oh, stuff. Really? And right next to it is this tank proving ground. So they've got this range there. And, and what they used to do was right. they used to take the um, guys they were going to execute into the woods, whether they be Norwegian resistance types or whether they be mm. British glider pilots, uh, take them into the woods while the tanks were firing their guns. And so the firing of the tanks no, would hide the it. sign of the, the the sound of the um, of the schmeisers. God, it's horrendous. And so there's all these little graves all over the place in that wood. It's really, really creepy. Yeah, it's a, it's a most amazing place. No, and the proving ground itself is is just bonkers. I mean, it's it's absolutely enormous, and lots and lots of concrete, as you would imagine it being German. Hmm. 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 Right. Okay. Our next question comes from Fashion Worked, which is, you know, people call themselves all sorts of stuff on Twitter, don't they? Don't they? Um, which was the big, you're going to like this one. Go on. Which was the bigger mistake, Gavin not taking the bridge at Nijmegen or the Germans clearing out Longvilliers before going to Bastogne, both pivotal <laughs> in their respective operations? <laughs> well, I would, I would argue that the um, Gavin. Operation Watch on the Rhine never had a, had a slightest chance of succeeding. Was going was going nowhere, always going nowhere. Never, they were never yeah. going to so, get to. Whereas, whereas Gavin taking the bridge at Nijmegen would have changed everything on day one. Yep. Yeah, there you are. Can't argue with that. Poor old. Well, Gavin. Lovely, right? Well, it's time for sh- writing about Gavin at the moment. Actually, oh, really? Yeah, oh. I'm looking upon him what a lot more favourably for Sicily. <laughs> okay. Can't fault him to be time honest. For- Time for a short break. Like, Wacht on Rhein, go nowhere. When we return, we've we've got a story about a Berlin post, post-war Berlin that'll make your hair curl. Welcome back. We started a conversation on Twitter using our hashtag WeHaveWays recently about World War II-themed pubs, and it went a bit nuts for a few days. So, a quick update. There's the Whitley in Hales Owen. The Headley Verity in Leeds. The Glorious Gloucesters in Sloane Street, London. And there's the Dambusters Inn in Scampton, of course. Um, the Pegasus in Alderholt. Aldershot, rather. The Earl of Zetland in North Shields. There's the Admiral Cunningham in Bracknell. The Bailey Bridge in Christchurch. The Montgomery of Alamein in Hampton Magna. Uh, there's also the Enigma Tap in North Weald. That's a good one. Yeah. The, the Mulberry in Conwy Marina. The Guinea Pig in East Grinstead, which is outside the hospital... Grounds where where they where they back in Doe was doing his um oh yeah uh, plastic surgery the Nobelin after Sergeant Dennis Nobelin Hove uh, then there's the shiny chef in Lodgemore don't really know what that's got to do with anything um, the Churchillian <laughs> in Portsdown Hill I know that one I've been there yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that that's got one of those menus that just goes on and on and on forever and you can have sort of you know twenty different types of burger and stuff it's it's um. It's not my favourite pub, I'm not going to lie. But it's got a great view. Um, the Spitfire <laughs> in Southampton. Uh, the Pilot, opened by Douglas Barder in Dorset. Um, and the Bells of Peover in Cheshire. What's that got? The What's Bells that got of Peover? What's that got to do with anything? Well, the, whoever sent that in, can you explain that for next time, please? Because we're, I mean, you know, we're, we're broad-minded and fairly knowledgeable. We have no idea what that is. Anyway, the bells. Done? I think I think you are right. Then a I regular listener, <laughs> regular listener, children's author Robin Scott Elliot got in touch after a pod about life in Berlin after the war, 
Um, listen to this story. This is a great tale. My granddad was a major in the Argyle and Southern Highlanders after the war, and he was stationed in Berlin. He lived in the house of one of the main Nazis, but I didn't know which one until I heard the podcast and rang my mum to ask. I mean, that's a good... That's a, Hello, mum. Uh, which... Nazi. Got a question for you. <laughs> yeah, which Nazi mansion did anyway? Apparently, it was one of Goebbels' houses. The family was sent wow. there in the late yeah. The family was sent there in the late forties and given family accommodation in a large house requisitioned by the Brits. It was on the banks of the Havel River and had belonged to Goebbels. She remembers there were lots of Greek and Roman nude statues on the roof and a huge mural of a Prussian era battle took up a whole wall in the dining room. My mum was at school in, in the UK but went to Berlin for school holidays. In either 52 or 53, the German maid's husband came home from a Russian POW camp. Whoa. But the maid was called Annalisa, and my granny and my mum drove her to the train station to meet the train. My mum remembers all these very, very thin men shuffling off the train. The other thing she remembers is ruins everywhere you looked. Well, thanks, Robin. That's fantastic. Because, of course... God, I, do you know what? I'd love to hear a few more. I'd like to talk to people who were there then. We should get her on. I wonder if she'd come on the show. I mean, that would just be fascinating, wouldn't well, it? Well, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Because that, 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 because, I mean, after all, that, that, that makes, that, all those people got sent back from the gulag, didn't they, in sort of 52, yeah. 53. And you've got all, all the, all the, all the, uh, all the Hitler's crew that were, you know, the, the, the people left over in the bunker were all let, we're all kind of let back into German society, and all. I mean, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's a really that's a really fascinating time, and and like she says, it was all ruined. I mean, the the yeah. city was still was still completely uh, bombed out and shattered, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, completely. I'm a bit obsessed with all that that kind of immediate post-war period. I think it's so so interesting. There's that amazing book by um, I think it's called Joseph Cannon with a K, mm. uh, called The Good German. Yeah, um, which was then made into a not very good film, but the novel is just brilliant it's yeah. so good yeah, of yeah kind of what berlin was like in the you know around sort of the, the period of potsdam and also because all those sort of terrible decisions that german civilians have to make those sort of appalling kind of sophie's choices that they get confronted with i think it's just it's just absolutely fascinating and it's really interesting i mean if you go around around um italy for example you can always tell when when the the typhoon of steel has kind of have hurtled through this uh, this particular part because all the towns yeah. or villages are just brand new and gopping. I mean, it's a bit like the same with with, with Normandy. You always know where there's been a big yep. battle because you know the church is rebuilt and all the houses aren't very nice. Um, whereas, <laughs> what's amazing about about Germany is how much they rebuilt them in the kind of original form. Yeah, yeah. Was, you know, with the exception of the monastery at Monte Cassino, you know, the the, the towns that were demolished in in Italy were kind of sort of rebuilt in kind of sort of 1950s, 1960s style. Um, whereas a lot of the house, a lot of the buildings in Germany were rebuilt as, as yeah. they had been. I suppose yeah. the exception of that is, is probably is Berlin, but, but, you know, central Dusseldorf again is really nice now. I mean, you know, sort of back yeah. to, back to how it was. Um, but yeah, Joseph well, Goebbels, that's, that's, as well. that's amazing, is isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the amazing thing about Goebbels, I always think about Goebbels and about all those Nazi elites is, is just, you know, how none of them conform to the Aryan ideal of kind of being six foot two with square jaws and blonde hair and looking looking sort of like Nordic gods. Yeah. I mean, none of them do at all, do they? I mean, Hitler's got a big nose, got weird tash. Uh, um, you know, it's just amazing. Um, they all look yeah. absolutely awful. And I do remember going on to... Okay, so, you know, um, um, Goering had Asia, which was the name of his train. Uh, and Hitler yep. had America. With America, yeah. Uh, and and um, Goebbels, you know, all the sort of the, the leading ones all had um, 
had their own carriages and you can still see Goebbels's carriage uh, in his set of apartments and it includes a bath and it's just horrible because it's really deep but not long so it's got a little seat in it is he sitting it you like squatting it and 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 you you go into this bathroom with all its kind of ornate fixtures and fittings and then you see this bath and you just have this really horrible and I'm really sorry to do this to you you just have this really horrible image of this little sort no, of white horrible no, figure no, getting into the bath and it's just awful it's I'd just like terrible. to apologize to all of our listeners now um <laughs> wrestling with the mental image of uh, Goebbels in a bath yeah, it's not nice. His horrible but, little um, Nazi ass on that seat. It's a terrible thing. Yeah, all sort of white there. and puny. And, yeah, all right, that'll oh. do. Right. Um, we, oh, we have I'll a question. Do. We have a question. We need to move on from this uh, horrible vision. Horrible imagery. <laughs> Hi, chaps, says Mr. P. Great podcast. Were there any, I reckon there's a one word answer coming up. Were there any lines of communication between Churchill and Hitler during the war? No. That's it. There weren't. <laughs> <coughs> nope. Afraid not. None okay. McCavestin. Uh, uh, I think that's right. It's, uh, this is a Gallic name and I don't know how to pronounce it. And so uh, forgive my ignorance, um, uh, internet person. Just started listening to your brilliant podcast. Well, wonderful internet person. And wondered if you could shed any light on the crossing of the Garigliano and the units involved. Well, you're... You're Mr. Italy, James. You, you must know this. Yep. So, so actually, well, there's, there's, there's two crossings of the Gariano. And uh, so the, the, the infamous crossing of the Rapido by the 36th yeah. Texan Division, where the kind of sort of, you know, the rivers of blood and stuff, which I think is what Gary was talking about last week. Mm. Um, that actually is a Gariano. Um, it's ah. not um, the Rapido. It's called the Rapido. The Rapido flows from the valley to the kind of that goes east, um, goes east from casino town and flows into the Gariano yeah. which then curves um, down and crosses down and, and ends up in the in the Tyrrhenian Sea um, uh, but there was also a crossing further further towards the coast uh, if I remember rightly by 46 division but I may be wrong about that but I have been there it's quite right. interesting and, and the, it's a, the, they cross on a sort of curve on the on the river um, and, and it's one of the things where there's the sort of the, there's hills to the south of you and then there's a kind of a, a flood plain the river curves, it's kind of wooded a little bit, and then looking over it, perched on a kind of promontory, is, is a village. And you would have thought that is just the most nightmarish crossing point ever. But actually, they do get across quite well. And one of the things is that the, the opposition on the other side is not top draw. Um, and although you don't need to be top draw to kind of man a few machine guns and mortars, um, they do manage to, to get across and they actually hold that, that bridgehead. So they have that bridgehead all the way through. What are we talking? Boats, uh, ducks? What, yeah, what, they're going how, over little. Yeah, they're going up. Yep, yep. So they have these little, so little they have assault these little boats. boats. They have these assault boats. They bring them over uh, under cover of darkness. They they clamber down. I mean, one of one of the things is is that when you go to the the, the Gariano further up, the Rapido where the Texans cross, it's not terribly wide. It's probably no more than you know, ten to fifteen yards wide. Um, but the the cliffs, the the, the size yeah. of the river are quite steep, um, and what you do have either side again is you have this little floodplain, and then a little bit back from the floodplain, maybe kind of you know I'm trying to imagine, remember it's been a few years since I've been there, maybe kind of a hundred yards, hundred fifty yards away is another little rise, 
and of course that's where your that's where your MGs are, and and it's you know you can just see why you'd get cut to pieces because you just you know as you're trying to get out of the out of the bank, you're just going to get cut to cut to shreds, you know, and 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 that's that's the problem. But but you know the Texans again, they're quite new to they're quite comparatively new to combat. Um, they haven't done this kind of operation before. Um, they they don't have the fire support that that they've. They don't use the fire support they've been given. So they've been given a right. tank battalion to help neutralise and, and keep the heads low. And they don't employ them. And that is, again, you know, I don't want to keep jumping to the defence of Mark Clark. That's not Mark Clark's fault. That is, that's the divisional commander's fault. It's, yeah. it's, it's much more complicated than than just, you know, Clark sent them to their desk because he was a mad bastard. I mean, there's a whole host of reasons why that the Texans river crossing on the Rapido didn't, didn't, didn't work and the one further south the british one further south did <coughs> right okay but i can't and remember who, the precise units i'm afraid all right okay i've no just problem. got this feeling in the back of my head it was the 46th division but i may be wrong okay which was okay. the midlands division right and the they and they the like so they go over in in boats and then they put a bailey bridge across so is, is, is this one of these exactly. sort of is this one of these yeah. building a bailey bridge under enemy fire events yeah so you've got you've got you've got you've got mountains and so what you do is you've got to you've got to get onto the the first knobs of hills and and, yeah. and this strong point village and you've got to get 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 onto there and push the germans back so that they're on the next row of mountains if you sort of mean to yeah. secure that particular bridge to, to make sure that that bridgehead is secured it's a fascinating part of part of italy it, it, it really is and it does sort of you know that that whole crossing of the gariano also reminds you i think that um that it isn't just Monte Cassino that's yeah. where the fighting's going on there, you know. Uh, and actually, for Operation Diadem, which is Alexander's big offensive um, to take Rome, which is launched, if I remember rightly, on the 11th of May, 1944, um, 8th Army are pulled out of that stretch and swapped with, with US 2 Corps that's been operating um, throughout and, and also was operating in, in Tunisia, in North Africa, with the FEC, the French Expeditionary Corps, who were yeah. also moved from north of, from east rather, of Casino. They're swapped. So they're brought into the fold of, of, of um, US 5th Army. And 8th Army is brought in. And 8th Army is controlling, is, is front line is the actual um, Highway 1, the Via Casalina yeah. and, the, yeah. and the River Liri. Uh, which runs up it, and then on the left-hand side, the east, the western side, you've got FEC, the French, uh, with the Goumiers and their mountain, the Moroccan and Algerian mountain troops. Then you've got US two corps, uh, uh, and so it's a it's a really big old line to cram two armies side by side mm, along there. Mm. But obviously, it works incredibly well. Yeah, although well, not as immediately planned. So yeah, so I I met this extraordinary guy. Got to know this guy called Ted White Smith, and he was a bridging sapper. And yeah. uh, he was, uh, and he was amazing because he he was also a really good, really adept little artist. So he did all these little sketches as well in his notebook and stuff, which are just fabulous. Um, I'll try and see if I can dig some out and, and put them up because they were really amazing. But anyway, he in twenty six nights he bridged twenty three crossings. I mean, it's just hell. absolutely phenomenal. He just said, you know, he was just absolutely exhausted. He said the problem is, he's just trying to move because. You know, the whole, all the, all the arteries going up through the Lurie Valley, which is completely clogged with traffic, because now it's suddenly it's kind of fighting season again. Mm. So the Allies can can build, to, you know, can operate at their strengths, which is using, you know, steel, not flesh, and using all yeah. their machinery and all the rest of it. But the problem is, is you've got all these narrow little lanes and roads, most of which are, are they're kind of metal, but they're kind of what the Italians call Strada Bianca. You know, they're kind of these just white stone roads rather than tarmac. 
Uh, and he said it's just absolute carnage. And, you know, you've got to kind of rush forward with your bridging kit, which is not small. You know, it's on the back of a lorry. And you've got to sort of get in front of everyone. And he said, you know, invariably what you would have to do is the road would go to the bridge, which had been blown up. So you then have to create a path sort of parallel, um, so yeah. veering off the main road, usually going down a ditch, get to the edge of the river, then do the bridge, you know, very often under fire, mortars coming down, yeah. flares going up in the air and everything. I mean, just absolute mayhem. Uh, it was just incredible what they did. And, yeah, and yeah. again, it's just a sort of reminder, isn't it, that there's, there's all these different component parts in an operation such as this. It's not just guys going forward with machine with brain guns and rifles and mm. Tommy guns and, and grenades and, no, and, Sapp- and tanks. It, it's sappers it's trying Sapp- to build things while oh under fire God. and all that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and medics and, and ambulances and all this other stuff that, that, that's going on all the time. It's such a complex thing, and there's so many different moving parts that have all got to work. Is it any wonder that, that sometimes the Allies get clogged down? Yeah. And then you're coming up against mines and booby traps and, you know, devil's gardens and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you, you really can start to understand, I think, why these advances take so long and why it's just not so easy to just charge hell for leather yeah, yeah. like the, like the yeah. Red Army do, yeah. where they just don't care about the lives of their men Yeah, in quite the same way. Right, well, oh, this has all been great stuff. Uh, we now we need to get let James get back to his writing now, though, don't we, James? <laughs> we do. This yeah, book come on, on, I've got chapters to do. I've got air book, power today. This book on Sicily will not write itself. Uh, do keep on getting in touch either by uh, Twitter using the hashtag #WeHaveWays. We also have our own Twitter account these days as well. It's called at WeHaveWaysPod. Uh, we got organised. That's what I'm saying. Do follow us there and we'll keep you updated with book recommendations and extra photos and general stuff. And of course, you can email us on wehavewayspodcast at gmail.com. That's for the elderly. We'll be reading out a number of emails <laughs> next week, by the way, so keep them coming. Thanks for listening. Bye. Cheerio.